Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. The Shorter Catechism famously asserts that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. It sounds great, but what does it actually mean? In this episode, Cameron and I will try to nail down what the Westminster perspective on human purpose really is, and how we might actually go about fulfilling that purpose. By the time we're done, I hope you'll appreciate that while the Shorter Catechism answer may be succinct, it is very rich in layers of meaning. Here's Cameron. I've been thinking lately about a phrase that Christians throw around a lot. This is a phrase we hear in church and we read in the Bible. It's the glory of God. And in particular, I've been thinking about that first question and answer in the Shorter Catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It puts it, what is the chief end of man? And gives the answer to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Did I get that right? Yes. <laughs> and um, I think that's a very widely known question and answer in at least reform circles. But I want to talk about it a little bit in this episode. I want to unpack what it means and how to do it to get as practical as we can with what does it actually mean to glorify God and to enjoy him and what the relationship between those two things are. So let's start with the question of the chief end of man. What, is, what does that even mean anyway? Yeah, I mean, the question is really one about purpose. So when we say the, the chief end, we're talking about end in the sense of telos or goal. And so the principal goal of man is what we're talking about. Uh, a simpler way of saying it maybe would be, uh, what are we for? Uh, what is the purpose of us? Why did God make us? What role are we meant to be fulfilling? And so the catechism is starting with a statement about really what it means to be human. And interestingly, it answers that question in a way that's different from how we often think about humanity. You know, that we often equate being human with being, you know, homo sapiens, you know, like the thing, the thing that separates us from the animals, like our reasoning ability or whatever. And so when we want to define humanity, we tend to ask ourselves, in what way do we differ from everything else? Here, the catechism is going to define our humanity a little bit differently and look at what our God-given purpose is. So what is our purpose? Our purpose, according to the Catechism, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So basically two ideas that are interconnected. So what's the connection? That's, that's what I want to get at next. What, why not just end it with to glorify God forever? That's a good question. Uh, I think... This is a phrase that sticks in our minds because it sounds really good, right? When you hear that this is the first question in the catechism and it 
includes that word enjoy, mm-hmm. there's something unexpected about that. Certainly, if if you've come into Reformed theology with any sort of preconceived notion about how rigorous, systematic, or whatever it is, you probably aren't expecting to be hit over the head right at first with the idea of joy. Uh, If anything, you've been given the impression that Calvin and his followers were about eradicating joy, and so now we have joy right up front. But I, I think the reason why both of these ideas are here is that we're we're speaking of maybe two aspects of the same reality. You know, that that the glorifying of God and the enjoying of God are not really distinct, but they're sort of wrapped up in each other. So we probably have to dig into each one of those in order to appreciate how they're connected. I remember teaching at Sioux Falls Christian High School here for a couple of years. Students use that phrase, glorify God, a lot. And I I think that's great. I don't know if that's just the Reformed ethos there, but they all knew, like, that's the thing. That's the most important thing that you can do. It's sort of like the, the the Sunday school answer in that circle is, well, you do it to glorify God. That's, you know, that's what I do. But sometimes it seemed to lack that enjoy part. It just seemed like glorifying God was a another term for worshiping or honoring. And that might be true, but I wanted to see more of the joy. And I always wanted to encourage that in students. And so I appreciate that the catechism includes it, actually, because if it was just glorify or praise or worship, we might say, yeah, of course, that's what you're supposed to do. But by adding enjoy it's it's getting at our human emotions too yeah i i had a friend who uh, was a classical school teacher and always used to kind of good-naturedly complain about the reformed kids because whenever there was some question that he was trying to tease out socratically in the classroom conversation they would just sort of blurt out you know something about the glory of god uh <laughs> Why is this the way it is? Why is this insolvable mystery the way that it is uh, for the glory of God, you know? (laughs) And what frustrated him about it wasn't that it was the wrong answer, because ultimately it was the right answer, but but it's also ultimately the right answer to to almost every question. And so, in a sense, there's a a way of using that formula of words that can kind of have the tendency to empty it out a little bit. You know, so that we say that very glibly without really reflecting on what it means or what glory is, what it means to glorify. And and yeah, so to glorify does include the things that you were touching on. It does include, you know, worship and praise. It does include uh, meditation on the the character of God and and much more besides. It is that kind of idea that that is uh, not all inclusive, but certainly includes a lot, many different layers to it. Uh, but ultimately, the metaphor that that I come back to, and I think of the idea of glorifying God, is one of reflection. That our created purpose as human beings is to reflect back to God the glory of God, right? To behold Him, so to speak. 
we are made to appreciate, to you know, see in the fullest sense, you know, to see God, his works, his attributes, and marvel at them the way that we often think of, you know, a connoisseur seeing a painting or something. Like there's something about that savoring of the vision of God that is at the heart of glorifying him. And it's something that we do with our whole person. So it's it's not merely intellectual. It's not merely emotional. It's it's a holistic kind of seeing and appreciating and and reverberating almost, uh, which is another kind of metaphor that that uh, I sometimes will think about in this context as well. The metaphor of sound and the way that a a sound can set off, you know, echoes, tremors, vibrations around it, um, responses, so to speak. And, and I think in some way, the glory of God has that resonance. You know, we are made to be resonators of his glory or something like that. Yeah. And so if you take that and then you combine it with, um, that phrase of C.S. Lewis is the weight of glory, where we stop thinking of glory as a sort of sentimental, ecstatic thing and start thinking of it more in that sort of biblical sense of weight or, or presence. You at least begin to get some sense that human beings are meant to tremble in awe at the reality of God. And that this is like our purpose. Like it's what we're for. And you see this reflected in, in human lives and human work that, that all of us in our various ways, as we pursue truth, beauty, and goodness, are getting some little piece, some little aspect of the character of God, some aspect of what he's revealed in creation and, and trying to run with it, trying to appreciate it, come to terms with it. And I think Ultimately, all of that, to one extent or another, and, and obviously imperfectly because of sin, but, but all of that human activity exemplifies this urge we have to glorify God. I've got a lot of thoughts. You said um, something about reflecting. You think about glorifying God in terms of reflecting. Were you talking about reflecting like intellectually, like reflecting upon or reflecting as like imaging? Yes, I mean it in, in the, the literal sense of reflecting the way that, well, you could say a mirror, but I think let's say like a reflective surface so that it's not so much a gazing in the mirror image as much as it is more like, a, you know, when the sun is shining and you glance at some reflective surface and you're kind of blinded by the radiance. Or I, I suppose, um, I'm not very scientifically astute, but but isn't this what the moon is doing all the time? You know, the moon doesn't give off light, even though it appears to you know, radiate moonlight to us. It is reflecting the light of the sun. And so... Something like that analogy is what we do when we glorify God. That's helpful for me because 
one of the stumbling blocks I think in the past has has been to think about glorifying in a purely intellectual sense like it's you're going about your day you're doing your chores or you're you're at football practice and you think oh i need to start glorifying god and and somehow like bring your mind to that thought and have that mental ascent and then it becomes glorifying to him and what i hear you saying is it's a more holistic thing where just like god created humans in his image in the beginning to simply reflect him we can we can do that now not sub rationally but it's mm-hmm. it's more than just what we're thinking about i think like you can you can glorify god by doing something with a lot of skill maybe or or with a kind of grace or virtue do you think that's on Yes, that speaks to the connection to purpose. Mm-hmm. If if it is true that human beings were made with this purpose, purpose is something oftentimes like built into the design, right? That it's it's not just an activity that you can or cannot undertake depending on, you know, whether or not you're focused on it. But on some level, you're sort of made for this reason and by virtue of existing, to some degree, you are fulfilling this. So if we think about that in terms of the image of God, right? So our theology teaches us that all human beings are made in the image of God. That image of God in us, because of sin, is a broken or distorted image. So it isn't the case that all human beings are made in the image of God and and reflect that image as they should, right? There's something wrong with that. And yet, we still acknowledge that human beings, even in their sin, even in their unbelief, are bearers of God's image, right? Despite the effects of sin. And in that sense, I think we could argue are glorifying to God, right? Bearing his image is a way of thinking about glorifying him. Now, It's, let's say, we're not speaking maybe in in utter preciseness here, but but that's a passive way as opposed to an active way, right? So by virtue of being human, on, on some level, to some degree, we're glorifying God. But when we come together and worship him, when we reach that point in the service where we are grateful for our forgiveness and we say, let's glorify our triune God, you know, and we say those words of the Gloria Patri together, we are more actively glorifying God in that moment of worship than we are just by existing. But I want to say it's a spectrum, right? That, that, That to some degree, some sort of glory is being given off, if, if we can put it that way. Um, because again, we're not talking about like, like a work that you perform in order to please God or earn his favor or anything right. like that. We're talking about like just the purpose of human beings. So some human beings will fulfill that purpose better than others. But I think all human beings to some degree are oriented towards this purpose. Like we see in all of us 
to one extent or another, these longings, these impulses towards things we recognize as the character of God, the revelation of God, and the creation that he reveals himself in. So we can think in really big ways about glorification, and, uh, and, and we should. As I use that word glorification, another point occurs to me, which is that when we talk about the plan of salvation, its end point for us is glorification. Like the thing we look forward to is to be glorified. And that I think is helpful as well to us because that involves the restoration of the image, the restoration of God's image in us, not only to its state before sin, but to its state after obedience, right? The, the state that Adam and Eve did not attain to because of their disobedience, Christ has attained to through his obedience. And it's that state that we are restored to when we are glorified. And so in a sense, there's a reciprocity that, that shouldn't surprise us, right? Because it wasn't too long ago in the commentary that we were talking about Calvin's opening and, and the interconnectedness of the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self and so when we think about us glorifying God, we should also have in mind that, that part of God's promise to us is that he will glorify us. It means something a little bit different depending on the direction, but it's all connected. That's, yeah, that's fascinating. Maybe we need to correct the, uh, <laughs> the catechism. Well, and the, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever and be glorified or something like that. Well, it's the catechism will get there. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's the key, that uh, yeah. the catechism does not contain all of its wisdom in its first question and answer. Yeah. It's only the tip of the iceberg. And, and, of course, this is the logic of the Westminster Standards in general. As anyone who's studied them knows, each piece answers questions, but also raises questions that get answered in subsequent chapters in the confession or questions in the catechisms. And so once you really get into them, you, you see how connected they are. And this is a good example. So before we talk about the last part of the equation, the enjoy him forever part, it's helpful to see that the Westminster divines actually do answer the question that is raised here. So when we read the first answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, it's natural to ask, okay, well, what does that mean and how do I do it? Well, the second question is, what rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? Right, so they immediately follow up, okay, how do I do this? Yeah. Where do I look? And of course, the answer is the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. So if we want an answer to the question, we have to look to scripture and nowhere else for this answer. And so then the third question is, what do the scriptures principally teach? So it's like, where do we look for the answers? We look to scripture. Well, what do we find when we look to scripture? And they say, the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And right there, in the first three questions, you're getting 
the big picture outline for everything that comes afterwards. The two categories that we're going to be fleshing out are what man is to believe concerning God and then what duty God requires of man. So there's going to be um, reflection in the other sense of the words, the things to reflect on or think about, how we should think about God, what we should believe about him, uh, theology, but also how we should live, what ought we to do, things like that. And this is the way that the Westminster Divines answer the question of, what do you mean by glorify God and enjoy him forever? And so everything that comes after really is them explaining what this stuff means. Now, they're going to do it, I think, in much more fundamental building blocks. Like We're doing it in... So far, anyway, a very uh, philosophical, sort of abstract kind of way. And, and they're going to be much more, okay, let's look at the basic stuff that the Bible teaches. Here's the things you should believe. Here's the things you should do. But in believing those things and doing those things, you are glorifying God and enjoying him forever. And these prepare you to do that and to understand it. Sounds like I need to spend some more time with my catechism. Then. No, we all do. <laughs> yeah. Well... I'm thinking now about, so as we move to talk about this word enjoyment, yes. um, I'm thinking about what Jesus says in John, is it 17, I think, where he, has, he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, your son. And how maybe knowledge of God is a helpful way to think about, or to tie these two together, glorifying and enjoying, because it makes it very personal that personal knowledge of god glorifies him necessarily and is a source of enjoyment for us because it seems to me that you can't know god truly without enjoying him is that a fair statement yeah no i think it is a fair statement um the interesting thing about this phrase to me is that at different periods of history, you're going to hear it differently. When we hear to enjoy him forever, I think where our minds immediately go is, oh, so like enjoy him right now. So I'm meant to enjoy this life. I think if you hit the rewind button and went to you know our, our pilgrim fathers, when they heard to enjoy him forever, they probably thought the life to come. The forever would have pointed them towards eschatology and the idea that, that the purpose of human beings is to live before the face of God everlastingly. And so both of those things, I think, are contained in this idea. And for me, the touchstone is, is you know, when... Paul calls us to rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because there is something about that call that feels chronologically inappropriate. It would be one thing if he were saying rejoice at the end of the world when Christ returns, when your salvation is utterly accomplished and you are glorified, then by all means rejoice. 
And until that time, keep a stiff upper lip and, you know, do your best to endure and blah, blah, blah. But instead, he says rejoice now too. So you're going to rejoice in the future, but also rejoice now, like rejoice always. So that joy in the midst of our current situation is the one that I think is most puzzling because it's a joy that you're called to in the midst of uh, suffering and injustice. A lot of things that people would point to and say, I mean, surely it's inappropriate to celebrate considering the state of things, right? And so to enjoy God forever, if that really does mean in this life and in the life to come, then it's pointing us to a sort of already not yet aspiration right here at the beginning of the catechism, right? Because in a sense, something about being human now calls us to appropriate some of this joy that should rightly reside in the not yet. And so the call to joy, I think, needs to be sort of kept in that context. So what we're not talking about when we say to enjoy him forever is Jesus is really cool. He's, he's a really awesome guy and, and he wants you to have fun. You know, and, and the more fun you have, the more you're sort of glorifying God, something like that. Again, like we might hear overtones like that, 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 you know, enjoying something is just having a lot of fun, but, but there's something richer and deeper involved there than that. The, the, the enjoyment is something more like, uh, you know, to enjoy Christ's benefits or like it's, it's a deeper enjoyment it's it's this is a little archaic but i think this kind of enjoyment is um is is about the ability to exercise one's rights and privileges to enjoy what belongs to you to be able to have the use of it to be able to to sort of fully experience all that that uh is yours, put it that way, which is a much bigger and richer thing than just to feel some excitement, yeah. if, that, if that makes sense. And you think that's still enjoying God? Yes, yes, because again, this is, this is about a future state of affairs that, that you know, we might think of as the beatific vision. You know, this is about face-to-face communion with our creator, the kind of communion we were made for. So even though none of us have experienced this in this life, it is what we were created for. And if we are in Christ, ultimately we will be restored and raised up to that experience of God. And that experience of God will will enable us to enjoy all of what it means to be human, all of the, the privileges and rights and all of that that go with being human beings made in his image will be ours to exercise. And so hopefully as, as you listen to that, you get some sense of the richness of that, that idea of enjoyment 
And this also helps if you read that word and then you keep going through the catechism and you're like, but where is the enjoyment stuff again? Like it said, it was about having fun. And then we never got back to the fun. Well, it's, it's giving you those things, but it's giving them to you in, in richness, right? It's telling you not only what to believe about God, but what to believe about human beings, like how to understand what it is that human beings, um, deserve and are made for and what they ought to do and what they should fulfill. Like all of those things is giving us a a way of understanding what it means to enjoy God's presence and enjoy being his people. So short of going through the entire catechism with the rest of this, (laughs) this episode, can we try to flesh out in slightly more practical terms? Like what is, what does that look like for a Christian on a, on a daily basis? Yeah, so I think if we start with just the two categories that the catechism catechism gives us right up front, um, the idea that there are things to believe about God and then there are things to do, like duties, those two categories, I think, are the window into how you accomplish this. Right? So it's going to be about believing things and it's going to be about doing things that as we come to understand and to believe what Scripture teaches us about God, about ourselves, and about the world, and then we come to live those things and act on them, we are glorifying God and enjoying Him. And that's the, the recipe. So it's, it's going to be the same things, the same kinds of answers, right, that you're accustomed to getting in terms of Oh, so I need to like study scripture. I need to learn like doctrine, theology, that sort of thing. But I also have to live it. Yes, that is the pattern. What's different here, I think, is we're starting with sort of a way of framing that pattern that's that's unique. So that's the pattern of discipleship. But we're seeing in the catechism that the purpose of discipleship is not, you know, to earn his favor, to please him, to save ourselves, any of those kinds of things. It's to enjoy him forever. It's to glorify him. And so that's what it's for. So if we pursue that line, what we're going to discover is we're not going to end up with a whole different set of beliefs and practices than what Christians have ever experienced before. We're going to have the same beliefs and practices that Christians have always cherished, but we're going to understand the purpose of them differently, just as we understand our own purpose a little differently. I can't help but think of Augustine's most favorite quote, or most popular quote, I guess, anyway, that God made us for himself and that we're restless until we rest in him. And I think there's something similar going on there as what you were talking about earlier, like the telos, the purpose, the goal of humans is to be in a a loving, glorifying, restful, enjoying relationship with with God. And that outside of that, since it sort of defies our nature, we'll be restless otherwise. So... I guess we could add on top of the the glory and the enjoyment a kind of rest that comes with 
acting in accordance with what you were made for. Does that seem true? I think so. I mean, obviously if we were, if we were asking this question, you know, what is the goal of humanity? We could answer it with equal biblical accuracy by saying the goal of humanity is rest, right? The author of Hebrews says there remains a rest for the people of God to enter into. And so the trajectory of the plan of salvation is for God's people to enter into God's rest. When we say that, we probably want to unpack that word rest just like we have the word enjoy. Because when we think of rest, you know, we think of, you know, I don't know, like a a temporary cessation of work. We think of rest as you know, recharging the batteries or something like that. Um, Work is the thing that we can get our minds around and rest is like the absence of work, right? So it's sort of the, the empty thing that you do when you're tired out from work. So that idea of rest is not quite right, you know? So when we think of rest, we could think of shalom. We could think of peace, wholeness, uh, fulfillment. So the rest that is the goal of humanity is a rest of fulfillment and completion, not a rest of exhaustion and like finally laying down that, that kind of thing. So, um, if that's the case, then again, you can see the connection to glorifying God and enjoying him forever because in that rest, those two things still continue to be. And, and that's maybe a helpful uh, full circle kind of observation because the answer in the first question of the shorter catechism doesn't stop being the answer after Christ returns. You know, when you think about, um, you know, faith, hope, and love, you know, which of these will abide Uh, which is the greatest, it's love. Because love won't end, it won't pass away, or it won't be fulfilled. Like Its purpose will continue. But glorifying God and enjoying Him forever is another one of those things that doesn't pass away. It's another way of thinking about our love for Him. And so this purpose that is addressed at the beginning of the catechism is evergreen in that sense, that, that we're being told something that's true about us, not just now, but also in the life to come. As a result, there's something, I think, really beautiful about anchoring everything that comes after this in the catechism in this sort of everlasting reality. So that we're pulling all this stuff, some of it, you know, which has already been fulfilled, some of it which will be fulfilled when Christ returns, but all of it is going to be sort of packaged in this reality that will never change. And a reality we need to be reminded of constantly, that this this is who we are as human beings. Well, thanks for the reminder. I, like I said at the start, these were, these are fundamental categories, words for us Christians, and sometimes I just need to go back to them and, and rehash. So 
Thanks for leading us through. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the commentary. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.